0: Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen's Sports Talk.
1: All right, coming up on this episode, we are happy to welcome Mike O'Donnell, CBS Sports and ESPN basketball analyst. We'll talk about the NCAA tournament preview, of the Final Four, and more. Mike is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Speaking of March Madness, and this will be a topic that will come up on one of our media spotlight episodes when I have Eric Lopez and Adam Eaton on the program. Jim Nance, as many of you know, is calling his last NCAA tournament, Final Four, and National Championship. Ian Eagle will take over the role after this season. So as Nance, on his farewell tour... CBS kind of forced the narrative a little bit as far as, you know, Houston is where he went to college. So it's one of his quote unquote many hometowns, as they like to joke. And the Cougars were followed by Nance in the uh, the first and second rounds and then into the Sweet 16 and I think CBS was kind of forcing the narrative and making Nance the story here, which they shouldn't make the play-by-play guy the story. You know, they, as they show before, Houston was eliminated in the tournament. He was called over to the team huddle and all this. So they're, you know, they're they're propping up Nance, and they're showing the video during the game. And Nance's call during that contest in which they were humiliated by the Houston Cougars, rather the Miami Hurricanes, the Houston Cougars were, you know, Nance's call was a little flat. Yes, he was disappointed to not get his dream scenario of calling his college team in the city of which they reside in Houston, Texas. So I thought that was kind of a bad move by CBS trying to force that narrative and frankly disappointed that Nance kind of uh, went all in on it and frankly was disappointed and showed so on the air. So I think that was not a terrific call by CBS as far as that went. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show. He is a college basketball analyst with CBS Sports and ESPN, former UCF Knights. Mike O'Donnell is in the house. Mike, great to have you with me.
0: Thanks for having me, Jeff. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, well, we're going to talk some uh, tournament action, March Madness, the Final Four, all that good stuff. So uh, here we are. You know, we're right on the, uh, the heels of the Final Four coming up this weekend, and You know, you covered Florida Atlantic during the season, and I think you were among the first to be on them as far as a team that could be a bracket buster and wreak some havoc into the uh, NCAA tournament this year. Did you even think Final Four for them?
0: No, no, I I didn't (laughs) think Final Four. Um, But I don't... don't, uh, You know, when you're a top 30, top 35 team... Really, regardless of conference, it, the the tournament, the NCAA tournament is so amazing because we have these runs, right? We have the George Mason runs. We have the VCU runs. We have the FAU runs. And it's just everything that is just so cool about the tournament. They are, uh, they, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this when I first saw them. It didn't hit me right away um, because the first thing that was very evident when you watched FAU was obviously their depth, right? I mean, they're essentially the best, they have the best uh, bench scoring team in the country uh, virtually all season. They'll play 10 guys, 11 guys. Um, I think I double checked it. Was it yesterday or two days ago? Nine guys play at least 15 minutes a game. It's crazy. Um, it's just not, not the norm. And so their depth, it was very obvious. So, so like I always try to think in terms of an opposing coach, how do you scout for that? How do you prepare your guys for that? Because when you go through a scatter report scenario, you know, you, you usually, you, you always are honed in on the starting five. And then you, you look at one or two other guys and be off the bench. The guy's a great shooter. So you have to cover him differently than the other guy that comes off the bench who's more of a slasher. Well I mean you're asking you're asking your team to prepare for 11 different faces, 11 different games, 11 11 different styles of how a guy shoots, passes, dribbles. It's a heavy it's it's a heavy ask. Uh it's a heavy task. So the depth was the big thing first. But then the second thing was they just like <laughs> unbelievably unselfish. I mean, to ama- it just doesn't matter who takes the shot, it doesn't matter who's the leading score. Nobody's trying to get theirs, and that's a rare thing in the college game. So I saw that and uh, the first game that I did that I called uh, those two things were very evident and the second and then or uh then after that, I thought about some more, and then more recently it pops up. maybe you remember this too, Jeff, those final four Villanova teams uh and, and even those the Michael Nardi. Uh, uh, Michael Nardi teams um, the uh, from Jay Wright the way he coached those four guard lineups, one post player, very very difficult to prepare prepare for. And if you can rebound, even though if you're small, uh, you know on the perimeter and the wings, you're going to cause a lot of tension and havoc. And that's what they're doing. And it's it's really they remind me a lot of those Villanova teams from. From really about ten years ago uh, when they when the Wildcats were uh, were just just epic in the Big East.
1: And of course, you tweeted too recently that uh, you know that you had taken in practice for the Owls, and that uh, Dusty May has a very very meticulous practice to like you haven't really seen very much of.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, it, it was. It was. I've been in a lot of different practices personally. Um, I have seen just just one of the overabundance of perks I get from this job is just getting to see all the practices and different styles and coaches and and I, I don't know if there's anything that's come close to maybe Houston's practice of what I've seen from Dusty May and Florida Atlantic. I walked in the gym and. Uh, I was a little bit late. I had, I had really really bad traffic, and so I was about ten minutes late to practice. I hate being <laughs> I hate being late to practice. So that thing in me, like I feel like I'm going to get in trouble if I'm late to practice, even you know I'm just <laughs> going to practice or shoot around. And the uh, I walk in the gym, and I'm not even in like the the next to the gym floor yet. I'm in the hallway. It's loud. I mean legitimately really loud and i said oh wow this is you know this is this this is going to be great and i i pop in and it was two hours it was the day before game it was loud it was the loudest most energetic most competitive and chemistry filled practice i've ever been around I just have never seen it 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 is very difficult to, to describe and I can throw out a lot of adjectives but if you haven't seen it you know every drill has a purpose the coaches are like right in there on the action and you know you have a great team this is a par for the course for any team but when your players are louder than the coaches that's when you know you got something really special and there were the majority of the practice, the players were much louder than the assistant coaches. And it wasn't like the assistant coaches were just sitting there just watching practice or not doing it. I mean, they, they were, they were getting after it and there, there's a great competitiveness to it. And there was also a very quick and intentional celebratory experience to each great play that was made down from I give you an example. So uh, the scout scout team gets a big stop, and that was that was celebrated by players and coaches. But then there was another uh, pl- uh, 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 player. It was it was Elijah Martin, actually one of the, one of the stars for FIU. It was Elijah Martin makes a drive on one of the scout team post players, and he misses it. It was a 15 foot dribble jumper, and he misses it. Play stops. Dusty May sprints over to Elijah Martin. And gives him, you know, I like, like basically a huge hug and attaboy. And I was like, well, that's really, uh, it, it was confusing. I, I mean, I was legitimately confused. So after practice, you know, I, I get a chance to talk with Dusty and he's, he's uh, un- wonderfully generous with his time and puts up with, 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 with dumb guys like me and i asked him about that play i go i don't understand i've never seen a celebrated missed 15 foot jumper before and he goes oh yeah he goes well we had been drilling in him leading up to this game they were playing middle tennessee through film and in practice they wanted him to attack the midsection and legs of the opposing, you know, legally uh, attacked the midsection and, and knees of the opposing team's defender to throw the defender off balance because Middle Tennessee was much bigger, longer, and athletic than FAU was. And we needed Elijah to, to play big and act big. But if he got a mismatch, we wanted him to attack the legs. He just wasn't used to that. We wanted him to attack the legs, and he finally did it without us asking him to do it. So that had to be celebrated. And I just, I don't know, I, I had never seen something like that before that was pretty special.
1: Yeah, the little things, right? <laughs> and they, yeah, and they, yeah, yeah, and it, and it adds up. You know, and I think, sure. you know, you, you spoke to you know, to their depth, and I think that's been kind of important to them in this tournament. You know, the fact they can run nine guys out there, they've been behind, but they've been able to come back in the second half, and I think that depth has had a factor on wearing the other teams down a little bit.
0: I think it's one of the, it's the only team that if they played a triple overtime game, they wouldn't look like it'd be triple overtime. You know, because they play eleven at eleven guys, and and each guy is unselfish while still maintaining the unique skill set that best you know embodies their game. You know, Dusty lets them play and be themselves within the confines of a very unselfish offense. They're never out of the game because of their depth, like you said. Very rarely do they ever look tired. I've never seen them look tired. I haven't seen them look tired yet. Um, they only slept in their bed three days this entire tournament just because of the way that the tournament was set up for them and the travel has been so difficult. And they haven't looked tired yet. Uh, but the three-point shot is what really is, was the other thing that really keeps them in the game. You know, Aside from Golden, everybody else can shoot the three. Uh, everybody else, every single player in that that roster besides Vlad golden is capable of hitting five or six threes in the game and that's that puts sometimes the threat of the three point shot is just as valuable if not more valuable than the three point shot itself and it 's very evident when you 're having to guard that FAU team.
1: Of course, they are going to face uh, San Diego State, a team that has uh, certainly been impressive uh, in making this run to the Final Four. They took out the top seed Alabama. They had a tremendous back and forth game with Creighton uh, this weekend, and everybody's talking about the play at the end, the foul. And of course, you know, I, I would like to hear your perspective, especially as a guy who, who likes to shoot and and whatnot. What was your what was your take on that that controversial call? <laughs>
0: Of course, it was a foul. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was a foul, Yeah. so um what what I think people are looking at is the uh, the contest at the at the peak of the shots. Um, and what you have to look at is the arm bar that was placed on the hip of Tremell. and I can tell you as a shooter. I mean, truthfully, you know, joke in the beginning, but, but truthfully, if I, I knew I could always sell a foul if, if I was bumped in the midsection, I could almost always sell that because if you move your body and kind of act a foul in the act of shooting and by breaking away from the defender, what the ref actually sees and is, is an extended arm bar. Uh, it kind of lingers there longer than if you were to take a swipe at the peak of the follow-through. And I think it was the right call to make. I absolutely understand why people were frustrated or why that call was made at that time. Uh, however, if you're asking refs to ref the game according to situations as to opposed of making the call that they see At that moment, I think you would open up a huge can of worms for a a situation already where people didn't really love the the um, maybe some of the calls that were made throughout really the season. You know, um, refs get a bad rap, but um, there were a lot a lot of different kind of changes they had to they had to make and maneuver this season. So, but I I I do think it was a foul.
1: And of course, you know, you hate for that to take away. Uh, from them winning the game, from them getting to the final four, as I said, they beat the top seed in the tournament, which was no yeah. small task.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, when you think of San Diego State, if you ever, I mean, I, I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, I mean, please watch these final four games. Um, but particular that the San Diego State Ford Atlanta game, that the FAU run is uh, the, the stuff of legend. We, we just talked about. And I'm I'm just telling you right now, so when you th- if you take the last five years of college basketball, when you think about the great defensive teams, whether it's the eye test or whether it's the analytics, you think of Houston. I'm talking nationally as the best in the country. You think of Houston, you think of Tennessee, and any basketball geek and savant will tell you, you will think of San Diego State. That if you asked me, you know, if if, if you said uh, Jeff, if you told me, Mike, okay, I don't believe you, but after this podcast, I'd like you to write up, you know, a fifty-page essay on why you think San Diego State uh, is the best defensive team in the country in the last five years. I, I could make a pretty compelling arguments if you take their analytics from from Synergy to Ken Palm. They are an elite defensive unit. I don't use the word elite lightly. They are an elite defensive unit, especially in the half court. And it's, um, I think that maybe the the best word I can describe their defense is that it's suffocating in the half court. Um, you just it's 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 almost an impenetrable half court defense, and they rebound really well out of it. They have an, they have an absurdly good shot blocker in Nathan Mensah. You know, it's it's pretty wild to think that either San Diego State or FAU is going to be playing the national championship game. It's 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 crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, and again, the, the as you said, you know, defense has definitely been their calling card, and you know, and they've been a team that's you know been Sweet Sixteen savvy for for a number of years now. So to me, this isn't a surprise that they've been able to finally make that uh, that uh, that next step forward for sure. So on the other side of the bracket. We have uh, Miami and UConn, so you know Miami has been been impressive. They took out the two seed Texas. I was, you know, very shocked that they that they handled Houston the way they did.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean truthfully, I'm truthfully not just agreeing with you to, to to just agree with you. I mean, the, the, I I think you are spot on. I think everybody was kind of shocked. Now, it does make you wonder a little bit how banged up was Marcus Sasser and Jamal Shedd. Um, they could have been really banged up. I, I don't know. I mean, they didn't look like themselves. But UCF fans will remember that Miami team from this past year. I mean, that was, if you take your UCF hat off for a second, it was an unbelievable college basketball game. I mean, really that was everybody talked about. If you went on social media after that game, all the national media members said the same thing. Like those are two teams that those are two teams that you'll see in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that that was, a, that was just a, such a great game. Uh, Omir might be the most manliest man in college basketball. I mean, that's that 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 dude is just. I, I, I don't even know how to describe his toughness and tenacity. Um, I mean, it just is incredible. <laughs> And uh, uh, the guards, specifically, I thought I thought the way that Isaiah Wong played against Houston was particularly really impressive. And, 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 and Miami's backcourt looked great, but I think the way that Wong plays so loose, especially in semi-transition, really kind of it, it, it bothered Houston that they couldn't figure him out because he just nights his way through every possible angle and Nigel Pack ripping threes and playing, you know, just out of his mind. I mean, that's a, that's a serious backcourt. It really is.
1: Yeah. And, and, you, and then you got to look at Jim Laranega. I mean, this is a guy proven true and tried and true had the, the great George Mason run. He's now back in the final four my I mean you could really see this, I think evolving over the last two or three seasons.
0: A while when he first got there, is it, uh, it was not a good situation. Uh, it was a very, it was a very bad situation, and um, uh, he, he built it up. He built it up. You could, like you said, you can kind of see it—the mental build. Uh, the NIL uh, helped Miami tr- uh, a tremendous amount of getting players, specifically Nigel Pack and Isaiah Walton. It was a big deal, big deal for them. I um, uh, don't think they would have gotten those players without um, those NIL deals. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's the beauty of the NIL. I mean, you, you want to talk about evening the playing field, you know, Miami all of a sudden becomes, uh, I mean, they were, they were trending in the right direction, but I mean, they were top three team in the ACC this year. And I know the ACC was down a bit, but I mean, that's, it's, it's hard to just, you know, I think if you're an ACC savant to come to terms with the fact that it's just not even a comparison. I mean, Miami is just so much better than Syracuse, so much better than Florida State, so much better than Georgia Tech, so much better than Virginia Tech, better than Duke, better than North Carolina. How do you say that out loud? <laughs> it, it, it's 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 odd to say, um, but that's that's what NIL did for Miami for sure.
1: And then uh, UConn, uh, you know, there they maybe you know I think you could argue they're based on their past success uh, uh, as as a. Maybe as a blue blood, but they're in with all the new bloods this year. Uh, And, of course, as soon as uh, uh, Dan Hurley took that job, while UConn was still in the American, the immediate thought that came to me was, well, they're going to be back and it won't be long.
0: So Mark Daniels and I had a long conversation on his radio show about this, about, Jeff, I I think this was like in very early January. Uh, where UConn uh, they were they were in the top five they were looking like the top five team. I watched a couple of other games and it was it was it was jarring and not not a negative way. But I'm watching you know when you first look at their offense and they have so many weapons on the perimeter they have so many weapons on the interior they are a very deep team and I remember talking with Mark because we talked about the offense a little bit, we talked about some of their wins in the non-conference and what they were doing in the Big East once they got in a conference play. If you looked at their defense and you looked at how hard they played and played at that time, on the record with Mark on the radio and then off the record when we were talking on the phone, I I said, Mark, I, I don't know if I've seen a team come close to playing as hard as Houston does. I mean, it, Houston is just far and away plays harder. It, it, it's it's uncharacteristic how hard they play. Abnormal how hard they play. And I'm watching UConn play, and it's this is these are Big East games, right? I mean, this is this is, you know, uh, you're playing against Providence and Marquette and Creighton, and like you're just lining up over and over and over again, and they are just physically dismantling these teams. So, oh, my goodness, I've never seen a team play this hard by, like, since, since Houston. I mean, they, they may actually give Houston a run for money because I, I will happily go to my grave. I've never seen a team play as hard as Houston does, never. <laughs> and that th- it's th- their ability to – you look at the offensive side and all the weapons, right? Especially Adam Sinogo is going to be a pro, and he's just off the charts big time. But, and you look at their post defense, you look at their backcourt defense, you look at the way they can run a fast break, they very rarely turn the ball over. And they're still unselfish, and they're running and executing their offense. They just outwork you to a level that uh, hasn't been done since, since, since Houston, right? What they did against Gonzaga. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just unbelievable. I mean, you're talking about one of the top offensive teams in the country.
0: <laughs> it's it's like a, a, a potential Naismith Player of the Year and Drew Timmy and like an absolute legend. And it just neutral, just neutralized him, neutralized everybody. Just physical, aggressive, like rebounding, boxing out, blocking shots, diving on the floor for loose balls. I, you know, I, I don't know... I mean, right now, UConn is my pick. I mean, I think they're going to win it. I mean, I, I really do. Uh, but that's that's an unbelievably good team. I don't know how they lost a game in the Big East. It's it's bizarre to me to <laughs> even look because they they went through a spell in the middle of the season where they really struggled. They they, they, they I believe they lost five to seven in the middle of the season or four or six, and uh, they, they just looked off. But uh, they they figured it out for sure.
1: Well, before we get you to. Give me your picks for those games. And of course, we already kind of got a good indicator on UConn. But uh, before we get into that a little deeper, kind of want to talk about some of the other uh, amazing pieces of the tournament because one thing I'm finding, and you tell me if you think this is analysis is wrong, you know, I've always thought 6-11 games are now toss-ups. I think 12-5s are almost to that point where they're toss-ups. I think 13-4 is now going to be your... New twelve five where you get one or two of those a year, and of course we finally we got another sixteen beating a one for the second time in five years. The parity now that this tournament has, my God, please do not expand this tournament because it is dead solid <laughs> perfect the way it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 my opinion is is I believe that expansion is going to come. I don't think it's going to come quickly. Uh, I'm in agreement with you that. Um, it's perfect. I don't think you need expansion. I don't think we should reward mediocrity, um, of a team that finished below 500 in conference play. Um, now if it expands to 80, I, you know, I'm, 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 the reality is I'm still going to watch. Uh, and I think most people will watch, but there is something to be said for you're going to have to make. A perfect case, a truly perfect case to expand the tournament. I, I think it's the best sporting event in the world. Agreed. I think it's the most. I think college basketball is the most fair sport uh, in, in college athletics. And there's there's just there's a there's so much magic that's involved in quick turnaround prepping for games. You get a buzzer beater every single tournament. You get something crazy every single tournament. A star is born every single tournament. You don't get to say that for any other college sporting event. It does not exist. And, and it's fair. It's unbelievably fair. Every single team in Division One in college basketball, has an actual path to win a national championship regardless of your budget regardless of your gym regardless of your tv contract every single division one team has a legitimate path to a national championship that's how fair it is and i uh i i could think of nothing more special than that
1: Yeah, because when when I hear the talk of, like, 96, and it's like, you know, and I don't mean any disrespect to the NIT, but do you really want the NIT bracket (laughs) leading off (laughs) the
0: tournament? (laughs) If it expands, when it expands, I don't think it'll be 96. I think we'll see 80. That's that's what I think, you know, from what I've been hearing. But uh, I don't think that's something that's, when it happens, is right around the corner. Um, And I think there's a lot of people that are going to fight that pretty hard.
1: Yeah, because I think the other avenue to that, too, is, I mean, is that going to be more Big Ten teams, more SEC teams, more ACC teams getting in, right?
0: (laughs) Of course. Of course, the only way I could fully get behind expanding the tournament is if you rewarded regular season conference uh, conference winners, right? So, like, in, uh, let's say, Conference USA, uh, if, uh, UAB won the regular season and Florida Atlantic won the, the tournaments, both teams get in. You know, I, I would actually be okay with that. Um, because chances are, like in your power conferences, the team that's winning the regular season in the power conference, they're, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to get into the tournaments. Uh, so I, that, that's the only other thing that I, I, I think I could kind of get behind, but I just, it's, it's great. And, and I, you know, it, it's more than great. It's, it's it's perfect, in my opinion. I don't really like messing with perfect.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's like, you know, you have a you know a well-prepared, wonderfully chefed meal, and then somebody wants to add a, a Big Mac to the menu. It's like... Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, come on. Right. Don't, don't do that to us. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So we mentioned, you know, uh, 16 beating a one, So it, it so it took forever for it to happen the first time. It only took five years for it to happen the second time. I'm almost betting the next time will be three years or less, as uh, I think that the the, that the it, gaps get closer, right?
0: It's possible. It's possible. Player, players players are better um, than they've ever been. I mean, this is like the college basketball game has never been filled with more talent than it has now. So I think, I, I think it's very possible. I think – yeah, you know, I, I do think the portal has some to do with that, um, but I also think you've got teams at uh, you know the non the non power conferences that have stayed together for a long time, and I do think that matters. I do think that matters uh, in in a tournament setting, and I also believe that style really matters. The way Fairly Dickinson. Plays was literally perfect to press uh, to beat Purdue by pressing by full court pressing, creating havoc, taking Zach Eady completely out of it. And that's that. That, that to me is similar to what UMBC did to Virginia. They were they were full court press and havoc, and caused caused a lot of frustration to the backcourt of Virginia, an extremely talented backcourt of Virginia. So a lot of it has to do with style of play. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think the assumption that a one is always going to be the 16 seed is gone. And I think that adds even more cachet to those Thursday and Friday games in a way that we haven't had before. The assumption that... That Duke or Kansas or Kentucky, you know, when they're a number one seed, well, just, they'll just, they'll take care of business and move on, move around to, to the second, second day. You know, not so fast, my friend, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it's not like that anymore. It's, it, that's one of the many reasons now, Jeff, why we just shouldn't expand the tournament. It's perfect.
1: <laughs> and of course, uh, Tobin Anderson moves on from F, FDU to take over at Iona since Rick Pitino has moved on to St. John's. So, you know that's the other thing that happens in this. These uh, these coaches uh, at, at the smaller programs all of a sudden have the spotlight and they get the attention of other programs and uh, and you know here you go. So uh, you know Dusty May is definitely going to be on people's <laughs> wish list now
0: for FAU Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's the that's the that's the nature of the business, uh, and it happens with players all the time too. As players might come you know, might be pretty good uh, throughout a season and have just a monster NCAA tournament and their draft stock just explodes. Happens all the time. How do you perform on the biggest stage? That matters. That carries weight. I think people that scoff at that and say, well, it's just, they just got out at the right time. It's literally the biggest stage in college basketball, in the world, right? At, At that time, it's the biggest sporting event in the world. There is nothing bigger or more important that happens in March than the college basketball tournament. So I, uh, that's just a part of it. Um, and, uh, Tobin going to Iona, I think it's a perfect fit. He's been grinding his entire life to get to this moment. And Dusty may, the the only thing about that with Dusty, I I don't know if he's going to leave FAU. I, I don't know if I can just sit here and say that now to the obvious statement of, you know, he can write his own ticket. Yeah. However, for what job? What job? What what, what job is open right now? That he would say that, that that he has to take that. I don't know if that exists right now. Right, Penn State is going to get is 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 about to get filled. You know, uh, St. John's already got filled. Uh, uh, Georgetown already got filled. Providence already got filled. Cal just got filled. So what job is he going to take that is going to make him make a jump, especially? And they're going to get – they're being recruited right now if he gets all his guys back. F.A. only has one senior, Michael Forrest, and that entire team could run it back again. And I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to try to go after three, four, five of those guys in that roster – and if Dusty can convince him to stay and run it back, you know.
1: They could be another Butler, right?
0: <laughs> Butler was in the Horizon League when they went to back to back Final Fours. Uh, it absolutely could happen. And then I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that does happen. I think the little that I know, Dusty May. Um, mm-hmm. I always love it when people are like. Well, I know Dust You know, you know nobody really knows <laughs> if you're not really, really good friends. You know, it's 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 impossible to say. And the little that I do know about Dusty and our conversations we've had, he really likes Boca. I think he loves living in Florida. He loved Gainesville when he was assistant at uh, at Florida. There is something to be said for being happy in the place that you're at, and it's just got to be the right gig. So we'll. Uh, we we might find out in a in a week or two. Yeah, you know, hey, Mark
1: Few, right? Guy that's been happy where he's been. And he turned his program yeah. into a national power.
0: So yeah, no, no question, no question. Jay Wright at Villanova could have could have taken a bunch of jobs and state of Villanova. He's just really happy, loves it. There's there's something to be said for that.
1: Quick thought on UCF season. You know, they started off quite well, and then they 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 struggled to conference play. Injuries took uh, some effect on them, and. They had a long losing streak, and, of course, they had a lot of close losses. Uh, what, what's your overall estimation of the season for, for the Knights?
0: Ken Palm has a metric, a luck metric. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Jeff. Um, and essentially, uh, UCF, i got to double-check it one more time, but you know, there's over 320 Division One teams, and uh, they were like 319th in, in bad luck as is as, as one of the they are, were one of the unluckiest teams in the country and that 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 luck metric has a lot to do with analytics and tight ball games and everything and um but i won't won't bore you with but it's true there's it plenty of unlucky moments total roller coaster season uh very very talented group that most people didn't realize how talented they really were I thought Coach Dawkins did a really great job finding players in the portal that fit all the other pieces together. And um, he, that win over Oklahoma State was big. Win over Santa Clara was big. And even though Florida State had a down year, they just kicked Florida State. He beat Memphis at home in overtime. And so there were a lot of positives to take away from it, but it was roller coaster. I mean, there, there were losses in there that they just should not have lost. And uh, I do think that a lot of that has to do with the inconsistency of the lineup as they were crushed with injuries. I mean, I mean really, I think if you asked Coach Dawkins that point blank and he was brutally honest, he would never, he's, he's anti, you know, he's just the non-excuse guy. When you don't have your guys, when you don't have your starting point guard, we don't have a potential all-conference player for almost half of the season at the point guard position. That's a that's a huge deal. I mean, Darius Johnson being out for that much time—that's a big deal because I think the general fan, when when a player is injured, you know, you, you hear next guy up, next guy up, and yes, that's true. But specifically from the point guard position, your rhythm on offense changes when that point guard is in there. and so you have to get used to a new rhythm. How you receive a pass, the timing, the flow, um, and then when a player comes back specifically a point guard from injury, you have to find a new rhythm again because it's not the rhythm of when he was healthy. It was the rhythm. It's a new rhythm of he's trying to get back in a playing shape while feeling like his own self at this time. So you have to rhythmically be in constant flux and I'm not here to make a bunch of excuses, but the, the, that is the reality. I've been in situations like that before. It's 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 very, very difficult if you're if you're not a healthy team. Um and yeah, I think Coach Dawkins would say it's it's not where they wanted to be, but you made it to major postseason, right? Not the goal. You didn't make the NCAA tournament, you made it to the NIT. You beat Florida at Florida. And I understand they were out that Florida was out without Castleton, their best player, but I just, I don't care. You you go to Florida, and you beat Florida. That's a big deal. I think it's a huge deal. And they just ran out of gas against Oregon, but you know, you won a game in the postseason. I think, I think that does help from a recruiting standpoint. I like it definitely helps recruiting the state of Florida when you're playing in postseason and then you beat Florida at Florida. I think that definitely helps when you're recruiting the state of Florida kids. No question about it. It definitely helps. Um, but you got to reload quick. Uh, really quick because you lose Taylor Hendricks who will probably be be a lottery pick Uh, the the greatest freshman in the history of UCF it's not even close in my opinion (laughs) but just uh, an absurdly amazing talent fantastic kid and you gotta you gotta reload in a way that I don't think the casual UCF fan fully understands And I don't say that I don't mean that in a demeaning way I just mean it in that Big Twelve basketball. It's the best it's the best conference in the country. Is you're not recruiting against teams that are trying to put together a roster to get to the NCAA tournament. You're recruiting against teams that are putting together a roster to win a national championship. It's a big difference. <laughs> a big difference. And so it might take a little time.
1: You brought up Taylor Hendricks, and of course, you know, uh, one of the me- most amazing things that stood out to me about him, not just you know the shot-blocking ability on defense, but I think he was amazing <clears throat> guarding guys on the perimeter, had tremendous footwork, uh, you know, it, it, obviously the best freshman we've ever seen at UCF. What stands out to you as his best trait?
0: Can I give you two things? Sure. Okay, I'll give you two things. Um, you mentioned his defense, and I agree with everything you said defensively, which is why he's going to be you know, uh, a 3 and D player in the NBA, and he's, he'll probably make $20 million a year uh, at some point in time in his career because he'll shoot over 40% from the corner three, which is the most valuable shot in the NBA and he'll do exactly what you just described, right? He'll block shots, and uh, he'll be able to guard combo guards and hybrid wings because that's what he's going to end up having to play as a hybrid wing. So he's going to be able to guard multiple positions. But uh, there are two things that, uh, that stand out to me. Uh, first is his efficiency. He's the third overall most efficient player in the American Conference, regardless of classification. Um, he never takes bad shots. He's never rushed. And, uh, you, you know how good of a three point shooter he is, but his decision making around the rim and inside of 15 feet is elite. Uh, I mean, really, really, really special. Uh, he had the, because of his, his efficiency was so high, he had the second highest freshman overall rating per Bart Torvik. Bart Torvik is probably the second most popular analytics Uh, website besides Ken Palm that uh, the kind of general public has access to. Uh, And he has the second highest uh, uh, overall freshman rating in the country. Brandon Miller is number one of Alabama. Taylor Hendricks is number two. Grady Dick is number three. Brendan Hendricks and Grady Dick will probably be top five picks in the NBA draft. And Hendricks is right there because of his efficiency off the charts. And his second thing is something that, Is a little bit hard to quantify, but one of the reasons why he'll fall into the lottery is his uh, his ability to be coachable. Uh, Coach Dawkins, I've said this before on a broadcast. It's it's not very often that Coach Dawkins will provide a um, uh, a hot take about a player, right? Of what we in the media call a hot take. Um, Just because he's he's a very very fair and calculated individual, Uh, it's one of the reasons why he's so successful. But uh, I went to I went to a practice before the season, and he was just I mean he was he was just great. He was the best player on the floor, and I was just asking about him like, hey, what's it like coaching this kid? And he took a pause, and he said, Mike, he's the most coachable freshman I've ever coached, and it's including a Duke. And when he was at Stanford, that's just an insane amount of praise for a kid coming from Coach Dawkins. Because think about all the freshmen he's coached at Duke. I mean, it's it's NBA All-Stars. It's uh, McDonald's All-Americans. It is Naismith Players of the Year. He's the most coachable freshman he's ever had. And you just tell him to do one thing, and he figures it out right away. He can turn his back and walk away. He only has to say it once. He just gets it. And so when he's in these workouts, the pre-draft process, in front of head coaches and assistant coaches and general managers, and they tell him to do one thing, and he does it, it's it, it's going to serve him incredibly well.
1: And too bad he's not the conference freshman of the year. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you.
0: That's oh, I don't understand that at all. No, yeah. no. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, uh, Walker from Houston, definitely a, a terrific player, but you know, oh, yeah. but. Oh, yeah. even, but you know, Hendricks was you know nine times the freshman of the week. It's uh, kind of a no brainer there. <laughs>
0: he Broke the record for American Conference freshman of the week honors, and he didn't win freshman of the year. I, I, I don't. I, I I don't fully understand uh, how that's possible.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, all right, final four picks: Florida, Atlanta, San Diego State. Who do you like?
0: I'm picking the outs, picking Florida Atlantic. I, 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 I'm sticking with the backcourt, the depth of Florida Atlantic. But this uh, will be as good of a defensive team as Tennessee that they faced. And that game was tight. And they got down and had to claw their way back. San Diego State is not as good offensively as Tennessee is. Uh, but I actually think San Diego State is better defensively than Tennessee is. I think that is going to be a slugfest.
1: UConn-Miami.
0: UConn. I don't think there's any hesitation there. Uh, and again, I, I I say it in jest. Uh, it, it, it would be ins- wild to the fact that there is a legitimate possibility that we could have Miami versus FAU in the national championship <laughs> game. Right? It's just crazy. It's so cool. Um, but yeah, UConn is – if I had to go back and watch film of every team in the Sweet 16 – I, 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 I think I could make a case that they, they're the best, best team out of Sweet 16, best team in the country. And I just I, I think they're going to be able to handle Miami. Uh, I do. Um, because they're as physical, they're as athletic, uh, and they're even more disciplined than Miami is. So I think we got UConn and FAU in the final. With UConn winning, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do. I I, I do think it will be a great game. I, I legitimately believe that. I'm not just saying that, uh, but I, I, I think this is I think this is UConn's final four to lose. Well,
1: I'll tell you one thing. I, I think both of them are going to be outstanding games on Saturday. I can't wait, wait right. to watch those for sure. And uh, before I let you go, so uh, before the football season, before the very first game, as with some friends of mine, we bumped in, into you at the uh, UCF bookstore. And among and and one of the topics of the conversation camp was fishing. So uh, tell me about (laughs) uh, your passion for fishing, and uh, and you may or may not disclose some of your favorite spots, (laughs) depending on you know if you want to keep those secret or not. But uh, tell me a little bit about fishing.
0: (laughs) I can't give you all the spots. Um, Yeah, no, I'm I'm from the Clearwater Largo area, so I grew up saltwater fishing a lot. I didn't do much freshwater fishing. Uh, I was underneath. You know overpasses. You know uh, kayak fishing, and um, so I, I grew up uh, loving to fish. I also think I was so tired all the time. I played so much basketball that uh, fishing was the was the re- relaxing release kind of thing. Uh, I'm just a saltwater guy through and through. Um, but uh, I grew up fishing. My dad liked to fish. My grandfather. So, this is, this is really funny, Jeff. I I literally, uh, you know, right before I hopped on this podcast, I just put my daughter to bed. And uh, my daughter, when I put her to bed, she loves for me to tell sh- stories about when I was a kid. And I just told her a fishing story that I when I went fishing when I was a kid with my grandma. I, I kid, seriously, I nice. literally, this is 20, 20, 30 minutes ago, just told her the story. Um, my grandmother, grandfather uh, is the best fisherman that I know. Um, he grew up uh, he was in, in poverty and uh, if he didn't if he didn't catch anything they, his family didn't eat. He had three brothers and three sisters. His father left him and so he had to be an expert fisherman or they did not eat. they ate fish, breakfast, lunch and dinner you know with some bread. that was it for decades. Um, so he got really good quick. Um, and he, I just never forget it. It's burning my brain. The First time I go out on the boat with my dad and my grandfather, this is my mom's dad that I'm talking about when I talk about my grandfather and, uh, we would, we would take it out, take the boat out and, uh, and it was this little, I mean, when I say boat, <laughs> I mean, it was this little red sardine can. I mean, this is barely fit. Two grown men and one, you know, eight year old in it. I mean, this thing was tiny. And we'd go to a spot and we'd fish it. And even if my, my grandpa was, ah, we, we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be in this spot. And my dad, like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. We wouldn't catch anything. My so my grandpa would get all upset. Like, just, 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 just go, just go down. Just go down like half a mile. We'd go down a half a mile. He would put his finger in the water and he would taste the water. It's bad. Ah, no, no go down about, about another 100 yards, put his finger in the water, he'd taste the water. No, nope, not the spot. And he would taste the water until he felt that the taste was right for the fish to be ready. And it sounds completely insane and ridiculous. I have no reason to make this up to you right now. <laughs> but... Every time he would taste the water in the spot, we would catch fish. Every time he found the spot that tasted, literally tasted right to him, we would catch fish. Uh, it always, always, you know, uh, with the different areas in the mangroves or underneath the overpass, and and, and it was, uh, you know, he was he's was the greatest fisherman I've ever seen in my life.
1: So I take it that skill was not hereditary then.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I no. I, I'm not great. Um, I, I, I'm no. 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 I don't have it. But I love, I, 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 am definitely the guy that I don't have to catch fish to have a great day, you know, fishing. Uh, there, there's something very, um, pure about being out on the water or standing out looking over the horizon, whether it's early in the morning or at night and, uh, and just throwing wine out. I, I, I don't, that's, that's a little piece of heaven for me that, uh, that, that I love.
1: That's awesome. Well, of course, uh, enjoy the work you do with uh, ESPN and CBS Sports. But you went uh, to uh, three different uh, tournaments uh, during championship week.
0: It was a wild couple. That was a wild three days. Yeah, I did an American Conference game on a Thursday and flew to Ohio to do two max semifinal games and flew to Vegas to do the WAC championship. It was a wild, wild three days. Yeah, it was. It was. I was exhausted afterwards, but boy, it was. It was a joy, absolute joy.
1: Yeah, and you might be the only guy who touched three tournaments too. If I if if I had to, be. maybe. Yeah, you might
0: be right. Yeah, <laughs> You might be right. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, well, awesome stuff is always. Mike, I always appreciate it when you give me some time to talk uh, college hoops. It's always one of my favorite shows to do, and uh, we thank you for being on the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. And
1: now let's close things out with a TV theme. A lovely piano playing the TV theme for Murder, she wrote. Yes, I tried to do that at my best Pat Summerall. Uh, as, of course, you know, as the conclusion of the 4 o'clock game would always happen, he would promo, Tonight on CBS, 60 Minutes, followed by Murder, she wrote. And that uh, pause between Murder, she wrote, where the comma is after Murder, would become more and more elongated as it became a running joke between him and John Madden. Well, anyway, Murder, She Wrote starred Angela Lansbury on CBS. It ran for 12 seasons, September of 1984 to May 1996, 264 episodes included among its recurring cast, Tom Bosley, the dad from Happy Days, William Wyndham; Ron Massick, and as well as a variety of guest cast members, including Michael Horton, Keith Mitchell, and Julie Adams. You know, the series was a big ratings hit for CBS, part of their Sunday night TV schedule for most of that 12 years. And uh, Achieving Distinction as one of the most successful and longest running television shows in history, averaging 25 million viewers in its prime. And in syndication, the series is still highly successful, and popular throughout the world. Lansbury, who was a terrific uh, uh, Broadway actress, movie actress, was nominated for 10 Golden Globes, Golden Globe Awards and winning four and uh, nominations for 12 Emmys, earning her the record for the most Golden Globe nominations and wins for Best Actress in a TV Drama Series and most Emmy nominations for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series and the series itself. Got three Emmy nominations for its stand drama series and six Golden Globe nominations in the same category, uh, picking up two major wins as far as that was concerned. Now, the series was created by Peter S. Fisher, Richard Levinson, and William Link, uh, and ironically, they developed it with Gene Stapleton in mind as the lead for that program. And of course, uh, she had some interest in it, but decided about outs. And of course, Jessica Fletcher, she was a mystery writer, amateur detective, and became involved in solving murders that take place in the fictional town of Cabot Cove, Maine. And of course, also branched out across the United States and abroad. Uh, very interestingly enough. <laughs> Uh, you know, if if you would have looked at the studies, you know, based on, you know, the murders in Cabot Cove would have been higher than any, <laughs> any city in the world, it seems like. So uh, I think it was good that they did venture her out. She had an apartment in New York City for a little while and uh, so it's had some shows focus in that area. And uh, I think my wife has been watching this series uh, on uh, on freebie. Uh, lately so that's what prompted me to uh, pull the TV theme and look into this one and Angela Lansbury by the way she passed away just last year five days before her 97th birthday murder she wrote our TV theme for this week and with that we are done here